Welcome back to another episode of The Doctor's Dilemma. I'm your host, Dr. Adil Mansour. This is the podcast where we discuss the challenges, the dilemmas that physicians overcome to have the opportunity to practice medicine. Welcome back to another episode of The Doctor's Dilemma. Today, I have Dr. Mukarram Razvi uh, on the show. Dr. Razvi is a physician working at the Virginia College of Osteopathic Medicine Sports and Osteopathic Medicine Clinic. He attended undergraduate at Cooper Union in New York City and studied chemical engineering. He worked for two years for the New York City Department of Health, where he did research into lead poisoning prevention in the South Asian population. He worked for two years for New York City Department of Health, where he did research into lead poisoning prevention in the South Asian population. He obtained his doctorate in osteopathic medicine at Rowan University. He completed his family medicine training at Christiana Care in Wilmington, Delaware. He's currently in his last year of training in neuromusculoskeletal medicine. One of his goals is to help patients achieve their full potential in as many spheres of their lives as possible. Dr. Razi, thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. No, I appreciate you being on the show. So, how has your weekend been so far? It's been good. It's very busy, enjoying the weather, doing some gardening and outdoor activities like walking and biking. Awesome, and I'm sure your new mobile osteopathic manipulative business has been going quite well also, I presume. Uh, it's starting up, yep, uh, little by little. I've gotten a couple of different patients so far, and they've enjoyed the interactions, and so I'm hoping to be able to expand that throughout the rest of residency and then even after I graduate. Awesome. Uh, I know it took you just a few <laughs> minutes to break even. Pretty impressive. Well, I didn't have too many startup costs, which was part of the idea that I wanted to do something that wouldn't require much of a loan. And so, uh, yes, it's been relatively easy to break even, but the harder part is going to be making the profit. Uh, I know you. I've known you for a while, and I think you're going to be just fine. (laughs) (laughs) It gives me confidence when you have confidence in me, so thank you. So uh, tell us, uh, why did you choose to become a physician? The biggest reasons for me were the human interactions. I knew that uh, at the kind of basic level, I had wanted to do something science-related and technical, and so I had actually gone to engineering school with that in mind, and then I also studied pre-med courses. But when I was really getting my applications ready and doing some of the shadowing, volunteering, and other things like that, I found that it was more interacting with people and understanding the human body that really drew me into medicine. So it sounds like you chose to go into medicine. Can you think of someone who might have influenced you to become a physician or was this a personal choice? Both. I wanted to become a physician after my own exploration and I feel like that's I'm very blessed to have been accepted to Cooper Union where I was able to grow and learn and kind of come of age. And so it was a very good learning opportunity for me, even though that there were some uh, difficulties in terms of just not being able to get into medical school for the first two times I applied. I think that I still learned how to cope with loss. And that was another big part of not just growing up, but becoming a doctor as well, because then I was able to uh, understand a little bit better about how to connect with patients who had also been dealing with different kinds of loss. Awesome. This shows your determination. If I'm not mistaken, you were the valedictorian in your graduating class. So not being able to get in probably was the first, I'm sure you faced a lot of challenges, but it was your first big challenge that you had to overcome. Absolutely. Um, Yes. My high school had about 700 students in the graduating class. 
and uh, I thought that I would have it easy from then on, but and my undergraduate experience was very different than my high school experience, and in a good way. I learned a lot of lessons that were tough for me at the time, but I'm really appreciative of now. It really built my work ethic and helped me to understand a little bit more about how the real world works and uh, how successes are both from uh, hard work and from having faith. I think that's awesome. So tell us, was being a physician your dream job or did you imagine doing something different? (laughs) It's pretty close. I mean, there are some challenges for sure, especially as a resident. I think that I have much less control over what it is that I would like to do. Uh, But now I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I'm about two months from graduating and it feels like I have uh, much more autonomy, which is one of the major things that I was hoping for in, in a job and be able to set my own hours and practice or do my job in a way that I thought would be most productive or healthy for my own well-being. Awesome. I think your goals and your ideals are definitely inspiring. And it's something that a lot of, I think, just people in general try and pursue. And it's the hard work that you have done. And it looks like it's going to be paid off very soon. I hope so. I think that, you know, everyone has their own idea of what a dream job is. And sometimes it's it's tough to actually get there because there's not always the resources or the finances to make that happen. And so I've been really lucky to go into a field where that is already taken care of for the most part. Now, I'm always going to have a customer base. I'm going to have the skills that I need to take with me whichever part of the country I happen to be in. So I know you just mentioned earlier that I took you three tries to get into medical school. Would you be willing to share how hard it was for you to get into medical school? Sure. It was very hard for me. I think that I was unprepared for the rigors of not just medical school, but the application process even. And, you know, I'm glad that I learned that earlier on rather than later. For example, in medical school or in residency, I had learned that, you know, having myself organized, having a system to be able to address all the different parts of an application or whatever process it is in a systematic fashion would would be really beneficial. And so I had a concept of that in engineering school that the whole system's training, um, but it hadn't become reality, it hadn't become practice until I started applying to medical school. And so that was when the rubber hit the road and I needed to actually put together all of the concepts from engineering and systems-based learning into actual practice. I see. Uh, What about your uh, pre-medical school preparations? Do you recall what uh, you had to go through, what sacrifices you had to make to pursue your dream? (laughs) Yes, lots of sacrifices. I got my first D's ever. And in fact, they should have been F's. <laughs> my professor had uh, mercy on me, and so he decided to barely pass me. It was in organic chemistry. It's kind of one of the beans of all pre-med students. And uh, it was my bean for sure. I thought that, oh, sure, you know, I'm already in chemical engineering. I, I know all of this chemistry stuff. I shouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> the, the other students were doing way better than I did. They understood the concepts in ways that I didn't. And I thought that I could just coast, just like I had done in high school. But it was very, very different. And so it took me, you know, not just one semester of failing, but a second semester of failing to realize that I really had to get my act together and have plans for how to study well. And so that set the stage for the rest of my engineering curriculum where I was able to bring my GPA up much higher and actually got onto the dean's list in the last few semesters. 
Wow. And so, again, it was one of the difficulties that shaped me into the person that I am now. Plus, I did have to take some extra courses, and so I didn't have a bio lab at Cooper Union. And so I went outside to a different university to take that course. And then uh, I was taking other courses elsewhere, for example, uh, Arabic to help round out my application. And then after I graduated, I retook organic chemistry. I spent an entire summer after my graduating year to take both of those classes and be very serious about them. And thankfully, I did well, and it showed. Wow, I think it shows the uh, adversity that uh, you faced and how you overcame it. Uh, very, very admiring. You know, one of the things that I can add is that at first, medical school admissions committees would tell me directly that my GPA was simply not high enough to meet their threshold. I would call them and ask them, what can I do to improve my application? And I would always get the response, your GPA is just not high enough. And so I thought that after I took the organic chemistry classes again, raised my GPA, plus had shown an increase in my trajectory of my GPA that they would reconsider. And so the second time I applied, I asked, hey, what can I do to improve my application? They said the same thing. So I became a little discouraged, but it wasn't until my sister, who's actually an MD, told me about another way to become a physician in America. She said, why don't you look into osteopathic medicine? I said, oh, okay. And so I started shadowing a DO. He showed me some manipulation, and I looked into the philosophy, and I liked it a bunch. And so the third time around, at this point, I had already gotten one acceptance into a Caribbean medical school. But I said, you know, I want to practice clinical medicine. And for that, I'm going to need a residency. And not all Caribbean grads get American residencies. And so if I try one more time to get into an American school, I'll be more likely to get to my goal. And so I did. And this time I applied to not just allopathic, but also osteopathic school. And lo and behold, they started looking at my entire application, not just the GPA, but seeing that I had other research other um, work experiences, other life experiences, and different characteristics that they were looking for. And so during the interview, we found that we meshed well with our philosophies and our goals. And so they offered me admission and I accepted. That's awesome. I think that is one of the key differentiating factors uh, when going into medical school when it comes to osteopathic schools versus MD schools. The osteopathic schools truly look at your whole application as opposed to just your grades. And I can tell you, if people have to look at my grades, I would not be in uh, medical school and I would not be where I am today. So lucky for me, that was a very similar concept. Uh, osteopathic schools taking a look at the whole application, seeing everything that we have done and looking at us as a whole applicant as opposed to just grades. And don't get me wrong, MD schools don't just look at grades. I'm sure they look at lots of other things and they do look at your extracurriculars. And I can only imagine the competitiveness that the American college grads uh, have when they try and apply to medical school. Right. So right after graduation, it looks like uh, you chose family medicine. And then after family medicine, it looks like you chose to pursue neuromusculoskeletal medicine. Tell us what attracted you to family medicine and then uh, neuromusculoskeletal medicine. I think it came early on. I entered medical school. I was actually having uh, chronic back pain. And it had been going on for about three years and had been causing me so much distress at times that I would wake up in the middle of the night curled up in different positions trying to find something more comfortable. And I had been to many different doctors and they had basically diagnosed me with chronic back pain. And for that, they gave me multiple treatments, including ibuprofen, Tylenol, muscle relaxer, number one, number two, number three, number four. <laughs> wouldn't, maybe number four is the magic bullet, but it was not. 
you know, physical therapy. I did some chiropractic. I did massage. And none of it seemed to provide any lasting benefit. And so uh, I was pretty excited when I got into uh, Rowan, SOM, where every year the faculty that's only consisting of maybe five members or so provide osteopathic treatments to the entire first-year class of up to 170, I believe it is now. And so they took time out of their schedule to treat me, to give me a sense of what osteopathic manipulation is. It wasn't enough for them to just talk about OMT in the classroom and put up slides and give lectures. They wanted us to physically feel what it would be like to be a patient in their clinic. So they gave treatments to every one of the students, whether they had a complaint or not. And in my case, I did. And within 30 seconds of the doctor pushing on my hips, my back, and my legs, he said, I think your back pain is actually from a short right leg. I said, what the heck does I have to do with back pain? <laughs> and so that, that sent me on a quest and a journey to figure out what this OMT stuff was all about. And, you know, thankfully, I was able to take advantage of multiple opportunities at Rowan and really delve deeply into the philosophy and the research behind OMT. And so I figured, okay, I, I know I want to do this in the future. I want to apply manipulation. But I also want to be a, a doctor. I want patients to come to me with whatever problem they have, and I want to be able to direct them or at least guide them to, you know, resources that they can use to get better to reach their goals. And so I figured I want to treat all populations, and I want to use OMT, and so why don't I pursue family medicine? Because that basically is the, the combination of all of those things. And plus, I know that more than a quarter of all primary care complaints are musculoskeletal or some pain-related complaint. And so my thought was I want to be able to treat the majority of my patients for the majority of their complaints really well. And that was the reason, part of the reason, that I chose the Neuromusculoskeletal Fellowship. So the real question I have for you is did your back pain go away? <laughs> it did. <laughs> I forgot to mention. So that was the other part of the story is the, the doc pushed on my back and legs and said, you have a short right leg, so let's check it out. And so he ordered x-rays and lo and behold, my right leg was about a quarter of an inch shorter than my left. And his philosophy was to treat not just the anatomy, but the physiology. And so the anatomy was the short leg for which he gave me a heel lift to prop up my right leg a little bit more. And then the physiology was that he felt on his exam, there were really tight muscles in the back of my right leg and into my low back. And so he treated that physiology with OMT. And then after about six months, I went from nine out of 10 back pain to zero out of 10 back pain, and which still works for me. Wow, that's amazing, man. It just shows the benefit uh, people get from osteopathic medicine. Medical school, tell us what were the hurdles, what were the sacrifices that you had to make when it comes to your family life, when it comes to your health, to be able to complete medical school? That was tough as well. Um, there were a lot of missed family opportunities, just different dinners and get-togethers that I wasn't able to go to because of the different exams. Uh, there were times, for example, in the first and second year of medical school where I was able to work out relatively regularly, but once rotation started and I was at different sites at different times of day, it was very hard to get a routine exercise schedule, and so that fell by the wayside as well. Can you recall your most difficult medical school course and how you overcame it, or was med school just easy for you? Hmm. Uh, most difficult course. The fact that you have to think about it, <laughs> I don't think <laughs> there was any. Yeah. 
I, I can think of it now. I would say biochemistry was probably the hardest for me. Uh, the reason being is it was, to me, I felt like a lot of memorization and not as much clinical correlation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the conditions that we were learning about were ver- relatively rare genetic conditions, which happen sometimes, and doctors need to know about them to be able to send patients in the right direction. But to me, it didn't feel as relevant as some of the other courses that I was taking, and therefore, I didn't have as much interest. And for those reasons, I didn't study for it as hard as I should have, or you know, it had, didn't put my heart into it when I was studying. And so it definitely felt like a chore to open up those notes and textbooks. So in relation to the question that uh, you know I just asked, what about your residency training? Did you encounter any dilemmas uh, in terms of work hours or the complexity of the medical field? And did you make any sacrifices or have to make any sacrifices throughout your training? Yes. That's a resounding yes. Residency was really hard for me for multiple reasons. In the first year, it was a complete shock to me and my system in terms of uh, the responsibilities that I had, the hours that I would be working, the lack of sleep, and other kind of physiological effects. But more so, it was kind of a, a psychological and spiritual shock that I'm actually taking care of patients now. My decisions matter. I have to come up with the quote-unquote right answer for this patient at this time. And so every rotation, I would be overwhelmed. It would last for almost four weeks in the first rotation, and then I would start to get comfortable, but then the next rotation would start, and then I would get overwhelmed again by a completely different environment, completely different medical record system, a completely different set of pathologies that I had to know, and I would stay overwhelmed for maybe three weeks. And then the next rotation would start, and then I would get overwhelmed again, but this time only for two and a half weeks. And that pattern kept going uh, almost until the end of intern year. Then once second year started, it was much smoother. Uh, I felt like I got into a bit of a groove and, you know, things were starting to click, but I still had a lot to learn. And so that stressed me in a different way as well that, you know, I'm, I have to constantly be reading. I have to constantly uh, educate myself uh, now that I'm an adult learner who's not going to be handheld, who's not going to have as many lectures given to him. I'm going to have to do a lot of this on my own. And so I started to try to build habits of reading and learning every day. Mm-hmm. Then in third year, I would say the hardest part was uh, balancing my work life with my home life, especially because I had just gotten married. And my wife was very much hoping that she would be able to spend more time with me and to get to know me better. And that was very, very difficult because, again, my hours were inconsistent and I had been putting in uh, probably 70 hours on average every week. That's a recurrent theme that the uh, medical residents undergo. Can you think of any uh, patient-specific dilemmas that you may have encountered and uh, what did you do to overcome them? Um, Yes, there were definitely some challenging cases that I had. I would say overall, the the most difficult thing for me was the social aspect of medicine. I worked in Wilmington, Delaware, which is one of the more violent, stricken cities in the nation. It has one of the highest rates of homicide compared to any other city per capita. And so there were tons of socioeconomic barriers for patients to improve their health. And so there were many patients who were more concerned about just getting through a day-to-day life than they were about trying to live a healthier, longer life for many years down the road. A lot of the challenges I had were connecting with the patients in a way that made sense to them, in a way that they were able to not just reach their goals, but sometimes even just explain what their goals were. There were literacy barriers, 
transportation barriers, education barriers, language barriers. And so I felt at times that parts of my job were to overcome some of these social barriers. I would do a good amount of counseling. I would do some social work to try to find patients' resources, sometimes legal help in terms of getting landlords to address some of the environmental issues that were affecting their health. And I'm very thankful for that, too, because now I have a much better sense of the broader scope of what a person's health is, right? It's not just that someone is free of disease or that they have the disease, but really, you know, what else? part of their, not just their body, but their mind and their spirit is being affected. To me, the spirit is different for each person, and everyone's going to define that what that spirit means to them in a different way. And so my training in residency, in a sense, helped me to understand what spirit means to different people. Oh, wow. Again, some wise words. It sounds like the training that you uh, have undergone has had a physical and a mental toll in terms of the work hour requirements and your brain's ability to come up with solutions to the dilemmas that it faced. When it comes to handling stress, uh, how did you go about handling stress? And did you ever feel burnt out? If so, what did you do about it? Yes, definitely felt a lot of stress. Whether I handled it well or not is a different story. Uh, I tried handling it by doing a few things like uh, praying regularly. I'm a Muslim, and so one thing that's important to me is maintaining the five daily prayers. And I would wake up early and sometimes stay up late to make sure that I had recited those prayers on time. It was definitely hard because sometimes if I was too stressed or if I was with patients or, you know, if I had too many things going on, I wouldn't put my entire being into those prayers. Uh, but I think just doing them consistently was really helpful for me to maintain some sense of consistency. A lot of residency was variable, all of the different rotations and the different timings of things. And so a prayer was a guidepost for me. If I didn't know exactly the details of what my day would look like, at least I would have an idea of, you know, where I would be able to kind of recharge myself. Some of the other things that I started picking up in medical school and residency even were trying to eat relatively healthily. And so I would cook very simple meals, steamed vegetables, rice, eat a lot more fruits, nuts, salads. And that made me feel like, okay, if I can do my job at however many hours per week and still eat things that are relatively healthy and I think are relatively tasty at a relatively low cost, then this can be something that I can teach my patients as well. And so for me, a lot of that stress reduction and a lot of the healthy lifestyle was not just for myself, but I wanted to embody what it is that I would be trying to help my patients achieve as well. Did you ever feel burnt out? Yes. Definitely burnt out, especially in some of the longer shifts and some of the night shifts where I would have to stay up from, you know, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And it drained me. And I would say that, you know, not just physically and emotionally, but also spiritually. And then in terms of socially with my wife as well. And so there were times when I thought, oh, my God, how, how can I keep this up? You know, if this is so draining, uh, what do I do? How do I manage this? And so it took all, many long conversations, both kind of venting to my wife and helping my wife to understand what it is that I was going through. And eventually I got through it. Again, some of that faith, some of the consistency and the persistence that really paid off in the long run. And knowing that the training is finite and you know limited and that I could see the end of it. Whereas the majority of my life and my career would be after the training and that I had a lot more to live for that as long as I got through the training, 
I would be able to do more of what it is that I truly want for myself. Mm -hmm. And that's coming up soon, so I'm pretty excited. I can hear the excitement <laughs> in your voice. Depression is a very widespread phenomenon. It's often tagged as a serious disorder and usually not attended to, especially in the medical field and especially amongst physicians. What is your take on suicide caused by depression among medical professionals? And do you think there is a solution to this? Suicide is definitely a big part of being a medical professional and especially becoming a physician. We have tons of stress and burnout and we don't take care of ourselves because of how much we take care of others. And our rates of suicide are much higher than the average population, as you know. And so I think the way that I approach these kinds of global questions and situations is to first understand how to deal with it myself. I have to come to terms with these concepts for myself before I can address them at a larger level. And to me, it was a matter of, yes, there are times where I was sad and maybe even depressed, but as long as I could remind myself of the reasons that I had become a doctor or the ways that I could practice becoming a doctor after I graduate, and then if I had the resources and the internal drive to use those resources, then I would be able to make it through. Unfortunately, that's not the case with other healthcare providers and physicians. Sometimes people have the resources, sometimes they have the internal motivation, but they often don't have it all. And in order to truly prevent and reduce depression and suicide, it takes tons of resources and uh, tons of community involvement in terms of at work, with friends, with family. And so in that sense, it's very much a multidisciplinary problem, right? You can't mm -hmm. just treat the biochemical aspects of depression with antidepressants, but you also have to treat some of the systemic issues that are causing that depression. Often it's situational rather than true major depressive disorder. I don't know if there's a great solution that I can think of right offhand. There's no one aspect to it. I think there are tons of aspects, you know, ranging from the cost of tuition to the number of hours that we work to the amount of uh, mental stress and spiritual stress that comes with having to care for patients, often in life-threatening situations. And so any solution that comes would have to be multifactorial and to have all stakeholders involved. All right. Next question is a very personal one. I do this to everyone I've interviewed. If you didn't become a physician, what would you be? Ooh, I like this question. So the imaginary fairy tale answer is I would be a race car driver. <laughs> I want to... <laughs> I want to be a Formula One driver or even NASCAR because part of what I did in engineering school was build very, very small, like shoebox sized cars that were powered by chemical reactions. And then it was really the mechanical engineering students who built the regular cars and they built Formula cars that you could actually sit in and drive. And so ever since then, I've been wanting to drive Formula cars and zoom around the racetrack like a madman. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> My advice for that would be maybe not a NASCAR, but uh, maybe go to a racing track because we need uh, we need uh, minds like you to practice medicine and come up with ways to provide uh, great care to their patients. So my advice to that would be don't do it, even if you can. <laughs> uh, thank you. You know, my other thought in in reality would be uh, I would think about either physician assistant or maybe engineering and biomedical engineering actually is my minor and so I might go into more of you know prosthetics or systems or design uh, new products or services that physicians can use and one thing that comes to mind would be the electronic medical record if I can use some of my engineering training to 
ease the burden of some of the documentation, I think that my life would be a success there too. Awesome. Well, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you and I thought it was a very productive conversation and I learned a lot. Well, thanks again for having me. It's always good talking to you. I hope you would uh, enjoy all of these interviews and get a lot out of it for both yourself and your viewers. I'm learning every day. I think uh, that's the best part about doing something like this. You just talk to people and you learn so much about them. And I plan to continue uh, talking to as many people that are willing to talk about their story and that are willing to share their thoughts and uh, just keep putting it online. I agree. Thanks so much. All right, man. Take care. If you'd like to contact the show, please email me at doctorsdilemmapod at gmail.com. That is doctorsdilemmapod at gmail.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-S-D-I-L-E-M-M-A-P-O-D at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.